Hello and welcome to episode one of Think Peace with me, Max Burnell. Think Peace is an eclectic podcast of in-depth interviews. I'll be speaking with a wide range of experts in fascinating fields, ranging from philosophy and technology to psychology, politics, music and media. To begin the series, I'm going to take a look back at some of the more interesting interviews I've conducted over the past few months. The topic we're going to dive straight into is the heated debate of digital privacy and national security. In this episode, we're going to be hearing from Professor Anthony Glees. He holds the position of Professor of Politics at the University of Buckingham, where he directs its Centre for Security and Intelligence Studies, one of the largest centres of its type in Europe. Professor Glees is well known for his rather strong opinions in support of national security over privacy. So much so, in fact, that he's a go-to contributor for the BBC to represent this line of thinking. A staunch supporter of the Snoopers Charter, Anthony explains that he thinks Edward Snowden is, quote, a traitor and a creep, and that the privacy argument is ridiculous. In the interview, he makes some interesting points. I'm not entirely sure how much I agree with him, but he has an excellent sense of humour and his rather opinionated views make for an entertaining interview which I hope you will enjoy. Just for a bit of context here, this was recorded just after the Apple vs FBI face-off and while the Snoopers charter was just going through committee stage. So, I hope you enjoy. Professor Glees, thank you ever so much for speaking with me. Real pleasure. Okay, so... First off, I suppose, do you believe that we need to make a trade-off between uh, liberty and security? In your view, does security ultimately trump the privacy card? Well, I think there's a philosophical answer to this, and I think there's a practical political answer to it. And I think the philosophical answer to it is that, yes, you do have to make a trade-off to choose to live in... uh, a completely free way inevitably would mean that you were uh, transgressing on the freedoms of others but in a philosophical sense um, yeah you can imagine what living a a totally free life might mean and you can see how that would impinge on uh, the 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 security of, of of others so I I get the point as a concept, but in the real world of politics, the practical world of politics, I don't believe that you do need to make a trade-off between the two things. There can be no liberty without security. You can have security without liberty, of course. Uh, You had that in in the Third Reich, you had that in uh, the Soviet Union, particularly East Germany, I've written about East Germany, people, most people felt oddly safe when you spoke to people in East Germany after the collapse of the Berlin Wall and when Germany had become a single nation again, you could speak to many people who, who actually complained about the fact that under communism uh, you didn't have to lock your front door, you could leave your car key in your car and there was very little crime and this, that and the other. And yes, some people were taken away by the Stasi and locked up for their political beliefs, but most people weren't involved in that. So yes, you can definitely have security without liberty, but you cannot have liberty without security because there are people out there who wish to 
manipulate and uh, society and the freedoms of democratic society for their own wicked purposes. And that's why in the real practical world of politics you need laws to protect liberty and you have to fight hard in order to ensure that liberty is not taken away from you. So in a sense do you feel that it's almost a, a false dichotomy? you know having to choose between these two very much a false dichotomy and um, for people who are of a philosophical frame of mind I, you know it's it's a bit of a fairy tale fantasy um, journey to 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 look at the two in this way but for those people who seek to um, undermine our free society they use the concept of their liberty and their freedom as a means to destroy the liberty and freedom of others. And these are the really dangerous subversives who want to undermine our values and these are the people who need to be kept in check. Um, so on, on the whole, is it fair to say that you, you're supportive of intrusive spying or surveillance capabilities? Well, what I'm strongly in favour of is uh, keeping people safe. Britain is the safest country in the Western world. Uh, we saw in Brussels uh, the security community, it was very fractured, didn't, bits of it didn't speak to each other, dis totally dysfunctional and um, allowed an, an awful carnage to take place. We saw the same thing in, in France and in both countries there was a strong culture which said liberty is more important than security, free speech is more important than free speech under the law and so forth. Uh, I believe in having a security community that delivers security but lawfully. That's a really important issue. It's not uh, a security that breaks the law, it's not a security that is unregulated by the law, it is security that is lawful. Now the reason that Britain is the safest country in Europe, perhaps in the Western world, is because Britain has the most intrusive security and intelligence community, lawfully so. The latest uh, bill, interception of communications, um, legislation that is going through Parliament, the Investigatory Powers Act, will not only lawfully establish what our secret agencies can do, but it will give them powers that go far beyond the powers given to any other intelligence community anywhere in the free world, including the United States of America, perhaps especially including the United States of America. And am I in favour of that? Yes, I am, because the laws make it clear who are the targets. Uh, the laws make it clear that there are heavy penalties for uh, people in our security community who might go fishing, for example, and might uh, look closely at people against whom there were no suspicions of any kind. And you've got a new double lock system. I, I was not worried about the previous system. I thought the Regulation of Investigatory Powers Act 2000 was actually perfectly fit for purpose. But I accept what David Anderson QC said about it. I admire him. And he said, uh, you know, the law was undemocratic uh, 
unnecessary and intolerable. What he actually meant was that the law as a body of law was unnecessary, undemocratic and intolerable because there was so much of it and it couldn't be understood and it was a jumble. He didn't actually mean the activity itself was intolerable, unnecessary, undemocratic, although that's how many people took it. So what we have now is a, is a new law. Lawfully, it grants intrusive powers, but make sure those powers are used only to keep this country safe from specific targets identified. And I'm entirely content with that. And every opinion poll we have on this shows that a significant majority, a two-thirds majority of people in this country think as I do. Okay, so um, in that case, what would you say perhaps to someone of um, a more liberal disposition or perhaps you know, a, a privacy campaigner? They seem to be quite vocal in this argument. Uh, who believes that freedom and privacy are the most important aspects of our culture. Well, I would say, if you beat up your wife, you beat up your children, or you torture your dog in the privacy of your own home, that doesn't make it in any way acceptable. Uh, I think this uh, sort of privacy argument is utterly absurd. And these people dance around two issues, that privacy is extremely important, and uh, that people like me want to take away privacy and want to spy on every person in their own sitting room, and that the, the investigatory powers that our secret agencies have mean that every single person is under investigation. Well, that takes one back to this point about communist East Germany. There... Um, you know, that the, the, the secret state was absolutely enormous. I think one in every five people was paid by the Stasi in one form or another. But what we do is not spy on everybody. We spy on anyone who could be a threat to us. So I don't buy this, this privacy argument. I think it's ridiculous. And I, it's certainly ridiculous to think that MI5 GCHQ is spying on everybody. What's even more irritating about these privacy campaigners, I'm delighted to see that Shami Chakrabarti is stepping down. Um, she's been at liberty far too long and, and her views have become totally calcified. What, what, what really upsets me is that the people who most interfere with our privacy are actually not our secret agencies, paid for by taxpayers, but by big companies. Just the other day, I bought a suit online from Marks & Spencer. Every time I go to the World Wide Web page, whether it's an American newspaper or German newspaper, or British, that pops an advertisement for Marks & Spencer suits. Now, that's because Marks & Spencer knows I just bought a suit. I, I think it's kind of funny, but it is clearly an, an intrusion of my privacy. And, you know, you'd listen to Shami Chakrabarti and her chums more carefully if they turned their fire on the big American companies and the British corporations who are making money out of data. Actually, I don't think most people care. And I think many people, clearly this is the case. You know, we read about our you know, 67-year-old uh, grandfather, but we read about kids sexting each other with their mobile phones and so on and so forth. Um, people don't think the same about privacy as they used to. And then they say, well, I choose to, sh to share photographs of myself 
naked and and uh, it's not the state doing it. No, but it isn't the state doing it. People do do it. So what's private doesn't really mean the same as it did uh, when I was a child, nor should it. What went on in private in Britain in the 1950s when I was a child uh, was outrageous. And it's great. It's great that we don't have that. And in some of our communities, some of our closed Muslim communities, that privacy is used as a way in which you can beat up your, your, your wife, treat your wife as a sex slave or whatever. No, no, no. So do you think it's fair to say that you're in favour of transparency as a whole, you know, for individuals and corporate entities and, and governments, perhaps? I strongly believe in, in transparency where it serves a, a public good, yes. Mm. And I do think that... Um, in, in the, you know, a lot of my work has been about secret agencies and I understand the lure of, of secrecy, the wilderness of mirrors of people pretending to be things that they aren't and people being things that they pretend not to be. I do understand that. It's fascinating and wonderful fiction and stuff not quite so fictional has been, been written about it. However, there's been a huge, uh, huge problem with the lack of transparency and that is what groups like Liberty and Privacy International have been able to exploit because secret agencies, particularly in the United Kingdom, have kept secret that which does not have to be kept secret. For too long it has allowed all sorts of rumours to flourish and 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 that's been bad of course people should not know things that can do them harm in in the world of intelligence that's uh operational details if uh, you know mi5 are working with the police to arrest some terrorists of course people shouldn't know that but how mi5 operates uh, that it's subject to regulation subject to oversight that MI5 officers who are unhappy about what they're being asked to do can discuss it and all that. Well, why does that have to be secret? There's no reason for it. So I do believe in transparency. I don't think you should trample on people's privacy. And um, I, I think if people choose not to be private, that should be, be valued too, but yeah. Um, so, what are your what are your personal sort of opinions on the Snowden revelations? Do you think they were a force for the good, or perhaps not? I think, uh, without doubt, Edward Snowden was a traitor and should be locked up. And I think the Guardian newspaper that published his revelations behaved disgracefully. And I think the government behaved disgracefully in allowing um, Snowden's helpers to quote, destroy, unquote, the hard drive of the laptop that they got hold of when Mr. David Miranda made it um, to Heathrow Airport. Um, that was ridiculous too. Is my view widely shared? No, not at all. I think you can have people both in our security and intelligence community and in Liberty and Amnesty International, etc., who actually uh, don't necessarily think Snowden was uh, a traitor as I do, um, but think that he he did do an important duty, uh, an important service by acting as a whistleblower. I think you would find people in the security and intelligence community saying, well, look, he initiated debates, very good. We've got this new Investigatory Powers Act. That's very important. We wouldn't have had it without Snowden. 
I don't, as I say, I think the previous bill, Reaper 2000, did a perfectly reasonable job. I would never describe Edward Snowden as a whistleblower, however, because a whistleblower, these are the, the sort of people who work for uh, organisations, often not, not well paid, who see, you know, think of that, that um, uh, the person that blew the whistle on, on the hospital where patients were being ill-treated, dying patients, denied water, and so on. Uh, that person uh, did blow the whistle, um, shed light on a terrible wrong being done to people, and will never get a job again in her life. Now, these are the whistleblowers that I think we should value in our society, and in any, in any organisation, even my own organisation, the University of Buckingham. Of course, there are things that go on, often things that affect me perhaps, that I think are wrong and that I, I work hard to try and have them righted. But I, I wouldn't you know, think that um, there'd be any public advantage in, in knowing about these sort of things. And I imagine in, in your organisation, you know, you, you come up against things that you would like to have done differently. A whistleblower is somebody who really does point to serious wrongdoing. What serious wrongdoing did Edward Snowden point at? There's no evidence that he has broken any law in the United States or the United Kingdom. And perversely, the one place we could say he appears to have shown that the law's been broken was in Germany. And I, I, I accept that. But then Germany is a very complicated country when it comes to security intelligence, given the Stasi past and before that the Nazi past. Germans feel very differently about this from the way we feel about it in the United Kingdom. And it's not even clear that the law was being broken in, in Germany quite to the extent that Edward Snowden. No, he is a traitor. The fact that he is accepting safe haven from Putin, uh, a terrible abuser of people's human rights, tells you all you need to know about that creep. Okay. So, uh, would you say, it's, would you subscribe to the argument, um, if, if you have nothing to hide, then you've got nothing to fear, you know, would you say you subscribe to that sort of way of thinking? I think if you've got nothing to hide, you've got nothing to fear in a political sense from, uh, you know, having your emails read or telephone conversations listened to. I do think, though, that... Uh, um, you know, I'm professor of politics and we're talking about the political world and the public world. And I think transparency is very important there. I think when you get into, you know, parenting, for example, or if you're a doctor, is it always necessary to tell uh, a fellow human being who might be a patient the full truth? Should you always tell a child the full truth about the ghastly things that go on in the world? The unspeakable cruelty we see, you know, a puppy being trampled to death by two thugs, a man beating his wife up, uh, uh, th these things. I think people should be a bit protective. I don't, I don't think everybody needs to know everything all the time, no. Okay. Um, so how do you think encryption plays into all of this? Uh, should anyone uh, have the ability to communicate secretly uh, beyond the scope of surveillance uh, and furthermore should there be anywhere online that's entirely private the answer max is very simple indeed there should be no form of communication 
that cannot be read um, or listened to by our security community. Lawfully listened to, lawfully read, but no communication. I think it's very interesting indeed that um, there's a real, this is a real clash of cultures, I think, between the libertarian American view and what I would regard as the British uh, European view on, on uh, these sorts of things. That for the United States of America, uh, the state basically stinks. Um, they don't believe in uh, investigation or surveillance. They would uh, you know, have 50 fits if they heard some things I've already been saying to you. And they, that you have the very big, powerful corporations. I mean, I think Apple is the, the world's biggest company or whatever. And they make money out of telling people that if you use our products, uh, you can never be listened to or hacked in any way. Uh, if it were true, and I don't actually believe it is true, but if it were true, it would be quite wrong. The best way of keeping people safe is to intercept the communications of people who mean to do us harm. And if you take that away um, from uh, security agencies, intelligence agencies, you increase the potential to that, that ordinary, decent people going about their daily business will be killed by terrorists with a different agenda. So no, there should be no form of communication that is undecryptable to our security agencies. And frankly, I don't believe there is. I think what, what Apple are doing all the time, they're using, uh, it's actually shameful, it's disgusting in my view. Uh, and I'm a keen Apple user myself. But what they're, they're doing is the FBI is fanning around trying to, to get into the contacts list of uh, somebody who very clearly was an Islamic State jihadist who killed lots of people in San Bernardino, trying to get hold of his contact. Apple are using that in a disgusting way in order to sell their telephones. And uh, I'm reliably told by people who are techie that it's actually, it's nonsense. The FBI might foolishly have locked themselves out of that particular iPhone, but any serious mathematician should be able to to get at it. But Apple is playing this out because it's a commercial advantage. People like the idea that it, it, it should not be crap. And again, I understand. I do telephone banking like everybody else. You don't want people to to defraud uh, uh, de 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 you. But, you know, keeping you safe. I mean, just yesterday I had, the, for the nth time, uh, a voice with a, a fairly strong Russian accent saying they were ringing from Microsoft and uh, they'd heard I'd had trouble with my computer and please could I tell them it. So, you know, we've got to be savvy. We've got to, you know, be, 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 be grown up. But nothing should be incapable of being decrypted. So, so is it fair to, fair to say that in your view we should have um, uh, these technology companies should give backdoor keys essentially to all of these security systems to, to governments? Yes, I, I think I, I think I think it is entirely fair. You give people license. I understand it's complicated because these American American companies. For the Americans, the internet is a wild west, and you can do anything on it. Britain, Europeans, we don't regard uh, 
you know, we don't we don't want a wild west. We want lawfully regulated space. It's it's just like um, you know roads and cars. When f cars first came in, you didn't have to do a driving test. There was no speed limit, no traffic light. You didn't even have to drive on a particular side of the road. But the moment people saw that you got killed if you did that, you needed to regulate traffic. Everybody's perfectly happy. You know, you, you cuss at, at speed limits and stuff like that. But you all understand that unless something is regulated, unlawfulness and unlawful behavior will triumph and people will get killed. Internet, exactly the same. Uh, so you wouldn't you wouldn't subscribe at all to the argument that um, perhaps we need uh, we need private spaces in the digital world in which we can communicate freely uh, as as a form of real democracy. You know. You no, I know. I, I think that's absolute nonsense. Of course, we need private space, and I think one of the very disturbing things about sort of sexting and so forth is that things that should be intimate between two people and should be a matter of choice have, have been made unprivate um, and you know since, since the dawn of time uh, people have been turned on by pornography and you know I'm the same as everybody every other hum, human being it's ridiculous to pretend that um, artists and so on have not incorporated sexually interesting imagery in, in their work but those are images, and, and what's happening now is that, ironically, we always talk about privacy, those areas of life that really should be private. Intimacy is terribly important. As most of us know, you know, we're born alone, we die alone, and we're very lucky, we can have some intimate time together with another human being in private. That's very important. But my concerns, well, the politics and security and, and how you deliver it. In regards to the investigatory powers bill yeah. that's currently going through, um, one of the common criticisms of it has has been um, that they would like internet companies to keep um, yeah. to keep records for a yeah. year of people's yeah. uh, internet history. Yeah. Uh, so, would you say that you're you're in favour of absolutely? This? Yeah. It it you know it if if you imagined supposing you were a, an historian um, wanting to write a history of the debate that um, we're looking at at the moment. And you'd find that there were no records going back more than a, 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 a year. How could you write that history? If you want to um, research with modern methods, DNA methods, a crime, a murder that may have been committed 10 years ago, if the records are wiped out, you know, what on earth is the purpose of this? I'm also strongly, you know, I'm very keen on Europe, I very much hope the people of this country don't get lured into the, 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 the Brexit camp, although I fear it may happen. But you do, you know, just because the European Parliament does it doesn't mean it's wonderful. The, the European directive that allow people to destroy their records, I'm totally unacceptable. That's what's Orwellian. It's not Orwellian to want to keep your country safe under the law by targeted surveillance. Changing the past, removing the past, destroying history, excuse me, that's Orwellian. Okay, so, so, you, would, so you, would, you wouldn't um, 
one of the arguments is that by keeping such a database, you're effectively creating a honeypot, which is going to be attractive to people who wish to do us harm. Uh, do you understand that? Argument? Yeah, well, I, I, I kind of understand it, but I, I, don't, I don't think that. I think, again, what you have, just as you have extremist recruiters using the idea of free speech on campus, um, which doesn't mean that's free speech under the law and academic freedom is freedom for academics, not for students, not for people visiting campus. You, it's a camouflage. They're using this as a camouflage to do their subversive and insidious work. Equally, the people who complain about data being kept, who are being ignored in any case, I just have to say, the people who complain are the people with something to hide with a vested interest. Um, no, and, and you know, can, it can help clear people too. And telephone communications data, mobile data, for example, is just as likely to ensure that the innocent aren't convicted as to ensure that the guilty are convicted. The innocent have a huge interest in having data kept. You know, have we, have, have, have we broken the law? Every human being has, has, has broken the law. Do I care if you know that six years ago I was caught for doing speeding uh, down the hill towards Swindon on the M4? No, I don't care. Am I proud of it? Absolutely not. Am I ashamed of it? Yes, certainly. But, you know, it's there. So you don't, you don't feel that... Um um, just the very act of surveillance sort of alters people's behaviour in perhaps uh, a way that we wouldn't want in our sort of Ah, now that's a very, very good question. That's a very good question. And if I had another half an hour, I would like to explore it with you. Is our behaviour being altered by the record uh, of our behaviour in, in in data I think it is I think it is I think uh, speaking as a professional academic uh, you know I'm 67 years old emails that's a new form of communication in many ways for me I'm used to communicating with colleagues either speaking to them in person or on the phone or writing them a memorandum which there may be one copy for me and one one copy for them Emails came along, very easy to write things about um, emails. And uh, I suppose like many people, I've been caught by um, you know, writing, writing in an email that, um, ooh, you know, a senior colleague caused me considerable trouble by turning up for work and yelling at everybody, etc. That I understand that that could then be used to embarrass me. I, I, of course, I, I, I understand that. But again, I think, um, you know, it is complicated. And 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 if if you were to give students access to all the judgments you make about them, uh, that would be in the interest of transparency. But I don't think it'd be in the interest of students. And I'm kind of old-fashioned, I hope ethical about that. I believe strongly I owe a duty of care to my students. That's an ethical thing. 
and it may sometimes mean that I have to make a judgment on them which they won't be aware of. It's very important for teachers, university or school teachers, that their students should never know whether those who teach them may, for no good reason at all, harbour antipathy towards them, for example. You can't teach them. It's like a doctor. You can't treat somebody if you dislike them. You may dislike them, but being professional means that that is totally removed from from the equation. So I I think the awareness that probably um, there is nowhere electronically you can keep your opinions safe, I think that has changed and will change professional opinion even more. I think that's the case. Uh, uh, my, my answer, of course, is that people should go back to writing down things on pieces of paper, and I do. And, you know, writing with a fountain pen is one of the great pleasures of life. Much nicer than tapping away on a MacBook Pro. Well, interestingly, I was, I was talking to an encryption expert, mm. and he said the safest way is always still just to meet in the back of a pub, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, for all of the technology, <laughs> yeah. it's still the best. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. If you have any important, really important thing in life you need to do, it's always got to be face-to-face, whether it's falling in love or sending a secret message. So there you have it. Make of his reasoning what you will. But Professor Glees was an excellent interviewee, and, to be honest, I admire his conviction to his cause. Next time we'll be continuing with the privacy security debate, where we'll be hearing the opposing argument from Director of Campaigns at Privacy International, Harmit Cambo. So stay tuned for that. If you'd like to get in touch, send an email to contact.thinkpiece at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take care. Thank you.